This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for October 22, 2023. The title of the message is The Marvel of Faith. Well, we come now to the reading and preaching of God's Word. If you would turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, you can follow along in the bulletin or the slide behind me if you have a different translation or you don't have a Bible. Let's ask uh, the Lord for His illuminating grace as we hear God's Word read and, and preached. Lord, We confess that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. As we open your word, may it be an illustration of of the opening of our hearts, that we would receive your word that comes from you. Holy Spirit, would you come and dwell in us to illuminate uh, what we're about to hear so that we can comprehend it, uh, so that we can take it in and let it change us, let it transform us this morning so that we would uh, leave different people than when we came. Lord, would you help us to lift high the cross of Jesus, uh, Lord, so that we might behold him and that you would draw uh, all of us unto him. Be with me, Lord, as I read and particularly as I preach. Uh, Lord, I cannot do it in my own strength, but In my weakness, would you make your power perfect? We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in uh, chapter one of, uh, verse one of chapter seven of Luke. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, Do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And in turning to the and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, "I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith." And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May He add His blessing to it this morning. You know, we come to the last message in our series on walking by faith and not by sight, and. Here we come to the story of the centurion's faith. A centurion was a Roman captain, if you will, who was in charge of uh, at least 100 soldiers, hence the, the, uh, the, the, the centurion uh, prefix. And uh, these were uh, mostly uh, all Gentiles, uh, probably Roman or maybe some of the uh, 
other ethnic groups that uh, aligned themselves with Rome. And they were stationed as part of larger uh, battalions, larger groups in any given region to uh, exercise Roman power, to project uh, Roman power and oppression in those uh, regions in which they had to do that. And Israel was one of those areas where there have been rebellion after rebellion. And so there were standing uh, armies uh, in the area. And, and so this is probably uh, a detachment of at least 100 near Capernaum, if not farther. And what's interesting about this story is it demonstrates a faith that is so amazing that it makes Jesus marvel. And so this morning, I'd like for us to consider what makes faith, particularly this centurion's faith, so marvelous, so to speak. Why does Jesus marvel at his faith? Uh, What is it about trusting in Jesus so much that it makes him marvel? And how can we have that same kind of faith that makes Jesus marvel at us? Don't you want to know? Don't you want to learn uh, to have how to have a faith at which Jesus looks at us and, and is just marveled. He, he's just amazed at the faith that we have. And, and so what does the, the marvel of faith look like? Right? This kind of faith in which Jesus marvels, what does it look like and, and what can we learn from the centurion? Well, first, what we can learn from the centurion is that it is an unexpected Uh, faith that comes by grace, an unexpected faith that comes by grace. And what I mean is all of the people in in all of Israel, uh, this centurion is the least likeliest to have put his faith in Christ. He is a Roman centurion, probably born and raised in a pagan nation, into a pagan family, into a pagan culture, and, and most likely to uh, retain his uh, pagan religion and identity, especially being Roman, right, where the uh, emperor worship was a core part of, of that pagan culture, but also as an example to the other hundred uh, who were under him. It was really important for, for the Roman uh, commanders and the higher-ups to be exemplary Romans, which includes the worship of Caesar and, and the, and the uh, Greek and Roman pantheon of gods. But yet, he comes to faith in Christ. He is a God-fearer, a Gentile who believes in the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Old Testament. Uh, and not only that, he represents uh, the military presence and occupying power of Roman oppression. Right? If, if a core part of the Jewish identity at, of the time was uh, to be God's people both religiously and uh, politically and civilly, then this Roman centurion represents a, a foreign power intruding itself into uh, the life of God's people uh, and in trying to put a wedge between Uh, their national identity and their religious identity. And so they're going to consider him a 
an alien, uh, a sinner, an outsider, a Gentile and not a Jew. And the centurion hears about Jesus, right? He's a God-fearer and he hears about Jesus and to some extent knows enough about him and to put his trust in him to go and ask him to heal his beloved servant, this servant uh, who he highly values, and not in terms of money, but as a servant who has become a part of his family. You know, um, in cultures where there are either indentured servants or, or, or family servants, um, you know, the, some might call them slaves, but, but they ha- take on a more uh, a service, a service-oriented uh, role in the household, and then they become a part of the family. And that's probably what's happened here. And this Roman centurion is not just any Roman centurion. Uh, because he's a God-fearer, he demonstrates a love for Israel. He demonstrates a love for uh, the Jews uh, over which he uh, uh, is commanded to watch over. You see, this is, this is how grace works. Grace is the the idea that we are saved by grace as a free gift, not by works or anything in us or anything done by us, but simply as a gift. And if if we are saved by grace, what that means is, is that God can save and will save anyone and anybody, but in particular, the least likeliest that we would expect to come to faith in him. Because when you're reading this passage, if a Jew comes to faith in Christ, yeah, you expect it, right? Because he's a Jewish Messiah, right? He, they have the scriptures. They know the promises. They, have, they know the signs of the Messiah who would come, who would be the suffering servant, who would take the sins of his people upon himself, uh, that he would save them from their sins, he, that they would free them from the, uh, their iniquities, and who would one day rule and reign on the throne of David forever and ever, that he would be Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. So it would not be a far stretch for a Jew to come to faith in Christ, but it would be it would be an absolute unexpected surprise that a Roman centurion uh, would come to put his faith in in the God of the Bible and in Jesus Christ in particular. You see, this is how grace works. It's not based on how good you are or what family you're born into or what nationality or what culture you're born into. In fact, in many ways, God's grace turns all of our expectations upside down so that the chief of sinners can be the one who puts their faith in Christ uh, the most. Um, Another way to think about it is, you know, think about it in your own life, in your own context, and think about the person that you know who has the hardest heart uh, to Christianity. Think of the person who, who uh, speaks openly about the idea that Christianity or any organized religion is all a farce. It is, it is all made up by human people. 
Or think of that militant, radical atheist uh, who've read all those books by Sam Harris and, and uh, Christopher Dawkins, and, and, uh, and they, they think that they know everything. And, and just the idea that God exists is anathema to them. And what's interesting about that is they can be just as religious about their irreligion as uh, religious people can be about their religion. Um, in fact, it's been, it's been noted how atheism can itself be a kind of religious fervor. Uh, there's, there's, they're so entrenched in this idea that there is no God, uh, it becomes a tenet of their faith that there is no God. But that, that's, another, <laughs> that's another story. But, but God's grace here, the, the reason why uh, God's grace comes to this Gentile centurion is because it is to highlight that it's all of God, not of us. That uh, the last and the least person that you would think would come to faith in Christ is the one who comes to faith in Christ. And uh, not just a little bit of faith, but a great faith. Uh, the, the parallel narrative in Matthew, Jesus says, uh, in all of Israel, I've, I have not seen such a great faith. Uh, and, uh, and that's the irony here. That's the irony, that when the Israelites are supposed to be the one, the Jews are supposed to be the one who, who put their faith uh, in Christ, it's this Gentile centurion, a pagan soldier. Another reason why grace, uh, that... Uh, the centurion's faith highlights God's saving grace is that it is particularly the opposite of works. It is the antithesis of how um, works uh, operates, right? Uh, G Paul says this in, in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, right? You can't do it yourself, but it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You see, if... If there was anything at all that you could do to, to deserve God's saving grace, no matter how small or minute it would be, if God gave you his saving grace for that reason, it would no longer be grace. It would be a matter of works. That God would have to say, God would say, you know what, you were good enough, even though it was little, and so I'm going to give you my grace. And what, that, what that, that constitutes then is for the person who did that little work in order to receive God's grace, they can boast. They can boast that they did the work and God gave them that grace because they earned it. And therefore, it would no longer be grace. It would uh, eviscerate the idea of grace. And another aspect of that grace uh, highlighted in scripture is that it is the least and the last, uh, that God ch chooses the, the least likeliest uh, in order to show uh, his power, and that is all of grace and not of our doing. Uh, uh, Paul goes on to say this in another part of scripture, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, the grace of God, here's the thing about the grace of God. If God gives you his grace and saves you by grace as a free gift, you have nothing to boast. You contributed nothing to your salvation. You did nothing to deserve God's love. In fact, you did everything to not deserve it, and God gives it to you anyway. And if God then saves by grace through faith, that means he can save anyone, anywhere, anytime, as he sees fit. And it means that he can save the person that you and I think would never, ever dream of coming to God. And this is what's highlighted in the contrast of verses 4 and 6. Right? Here's, the, here's the, the Jewish elders of Capernaum. Here's their understanding of how God saves. The, they, they go to Jesus on behalf of the Roman centurions, and they say, they say, Jesus, he is worthy of this. He is worthy for you to go and to heal his servant. He's done this, this, and this for us. That's why he's worthy. See, that, that's how the, the elders of the Jews uh, construe salvation. And in many ways, we may, we may say it out loud or we may harbor this idea in our hearts. But this is, if we're honest with ourselves, this is how we think about uh, how we deserve God's grace and love. We think that we are worthy of whatever gifts God would have us, uh, would give to us. Uh, that we have done all of these things in order to deserve God's love. And that makes us Pharisees. That makes us folks who, who uh, are, are legalists. And it may be subtle. Uh, it may be... Uh, it may come in the form of being disappointed when God doesn't give us what we want because we feel entitled to a life uh, that we see fit and God should give it to us because we are worthy. Look at all the things that we, I've done for you, God, and, and this is what you give me? Um, but look at how the centurion sees it. He knows that it is all by grace and that he says, what did he say there? He says in verse 6, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. This is, he understands the saving grace of God, that he is not worthy for Jesus even to come under his roof. This reminds us, does it not, of the, the self-deprecation, uh, uh, the, the self-humbling before uh, the Messiah of John the Baptist, 
when, when he's about to baptize Jesus, he says, I am, un, I am not worthy to even tie uh, the thongs of your sandal. Saving faith knows that we are saved by grace, not by works, not by anything worthy in us, but, be, but precisely because we are unworthy, God loves us anyway. Friends, brothers and sisters, every one of you who have come to faith, do you know, do you know this as God's grace in your lives? Not because of anything that you have done or anything in you, but by God's sheer grace that you came to faith and were saved. And not only did you receive that salvation by faith through grace, but that you continue in that salvation by grace through faith. This is, this is one of the pitfalls uh, of what uh, older Christians, you know, Christians who've walked with the Lord for a long time, this is a lesson that we always have to learn and relearn. I think Christian maturity isn't just being, isn't just li- being Christian for a long time. It is going deeper into the grace that you were once saved that then uh, helps you to continue in your salvation. Because it is, we have this gospel amnesia where we know in our minds that we're saved by grace, but yet in our hearts we know that we continue on in God. We continue by works. And, um, and we have so many pitfalls uh, so that when we try to live by works, not by grace, when we walk by works, not by grace through faith, then, you know, the power of of any change in our Christian life comes from us and we will always fail. We cannot change, we cannot progress in the Christian life in our own strength. But it is only when we recognize God's grace continuing to transform us, to continue to change us, can we then progress and overcome sin, fight sin, have victory over sins in our lives so that we can be more and more conformed and shaped into the image of Christ. This also means that that person that you thought was the least likeliest to be saved, the chief of sinners in your life, if you're not the one, if, if you are the chief of sinners and then the other chief of sinners in your life. Uh, think of that one person with the hardest heart that you've ever come across that is so militantly against Christianity If salvation is by grace through faith, it means that God can save them too. If there is hope for you, (laughs) there is hope for them. And so I want to encourage you to pray for them. To uh, ask God to open doors so that you can share the gospel with them. Or or that God can open the door for someone else to share the gospel with them. Or to, to prepare their hearts. Or maybe even to cause them to be born again. Uh, and that it would be low-hanging fruit for you to share the gospel, and it would, it would be um, like catching fish in a barrel or shooting fish in a barrel, right? Uh, that's what it means to be saved by grace, and, and maybe some of you know people like that, and maybe you've given up on them, 
and you haven't prayed for their salvation in a long time. Maybe it's because you've forgotten that God saved you by grace. And if he can save you by grace, he can save them. So get back on your knees and pray. Open, take the bold step and open that door and talk to them about Jesus. Secondly, not only do we see the unexpected faith that arises out of grace, but we see the unexpected insight of faith in Jesus Christ. That there's a certain insight that faith gives us that we see things the way that we're supposed to see them. We see them truly. Uh, We see them as they really are. Not only is a centurion's faith by grace, but he looks at Jesus and he knows who Jesus is. Look at verse six. As Jesus makes his way, the centurion sends friends, calling him Lord. You see that? Lord, right? Lord. Uh, He understands in some way the messianic lordship of Christ. He recognizes Jesus' divine nature and power. Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. The, the centurion recognizes the inherent authority and power of Christ as Lord. And then he goes on to, that because he sees Jesus' lordship in this way, he knows uh, his power, and, and, and so it, the consequence of that is that then he knows that by faith, God will, Jesus will do what he's going to do. Look at what he says there. Just say the word and let my servant be healed. He knows the power of Jesus is so, to such an extent that just like God in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world spoke the universe out of nothing into nothing and made everything, that in that same way Jesus can simply speak and heal this servant from wherever he is. Because if you, if you notice, the centurion is nowhere to be found actually in this passage. It's always, it's by messenger, back and forth. From wherever the centurion's house is, he's sending go-betweens. And so the centurion is, is not even here to meet Jesus. He's not really talking to Jesus except through messengers. But he trusts in Jesus to such an extent that he says, you know what, all you need to do is say it, and I know it's going to happen. That's the insight of faith, right? The conviction of things unseen, the assurance of things hoped for, that we acknowledge the power and the authority of Jesus to such an extent that his word is, is, is truth. His word is his bond. His promises are as good as done. Do you believe that? As you trust in the power of God, how would that change your life? How would that work when you are anxious, when you are afraid, when you're wondering what's gonna happen tomorrow? You're gonna wonder if you have enough money to pay the bills. If you are single and alone and you wonder if God is gonna provide for you a suitable spouse, or you are lonely, you, don't, you feel all alone, you don't have a lot of friends, 
You know, is God going to provide for me a uh, a, a good friend who knows me and I can know them, I can call them with my uh, burdens and to share with them my joys. Uh, the inside of faith reminds us that God can say the word and he can do it all for you. Uh, do you believe that? Would your anxieties and your fears all melt away because God, you know that God has promised uh, he, to, that as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness that he would add everything else unto you. That he, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. That he, your God, will provide for all of your needs. That he who did not spare his one and only son, how will he not then give you all that you need? Just say the word and, and believe that God will do it for you as you need it. And he understands this because he himself is a man under authority with soldiers and servants under him. If they go, if he says go, they'll go. If he, if he says come, they'll come and do and they will do it. And so somehow, this, this centurion grasps the character and the nature of, of Jesus' lordship and, and, and his discipleship in service by faith to Jesus. That's all he needed to know is just to say the word and he knows that his servant will be healed. And this is how faith works in the life of a believer in your life. Faith is trusting in the power and the authority of Christ to such an extent that all you need to know, all you need to do is hear his word and you believe. We may not know how long or, or why that God is doing something, but if, if, if God says that I have your best for you and though you think you need something now and God says I'm gonna give it to you later, Faith reminds us that he, if his word is truth and you need only wait and trust that what you need, you will have. And sometimes I think we struggle with the tension between what we think we need and what we really need from God. What we want rather than what we need from God. And faith reminds us, faith reminds us, and this is the insight of faith with regards to God's providence is, is that whatever my God ordains is right and it's good for me. How many things have happened in your life where God gave you something completely different than you ever thought you or imagined for yourself? And then you look back at, at that time that you thought was a disaster, the job that you didn't get, the, the relationship that, you, that uh, ended uh, badly, or or um, the opportunities that were closed, and then you had to you felt like you were settling uh, by going through other open doors at the time, and you look back and you said, "Oh, that was a disaster." You, you thought it was a disaster at the time, but you look back now, you uh, more mature, uh, you know God's goodness in a deeper way, and you look back and you say, "That was a gift from God." 
that what God had done in my life 20, 30 years ago was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. That's the insight of faith that recognizes that God's word, God need only say his word and it is true and it will happen. So that when he says go, we go. When he says come, we come. When he says do, we do it. Because we know uh, the love of God, the goodness of God, the, the beauty of God. And, uh, and we, can't, we, we want to please him in all that we do. Uh, one of the ways that I think can help us uh, have this perspective is that not only do we, do we things, look at things uh, better in hindsight, but sometimes we look, we need to see things better uh, with God's perspective. You know, when I was, um, when I uh, was in Little League, uh, we had first and second, third base coaches. And if you hit the ball, um, you know, you would run as hard as you can to first base and you would keep an eye out and you keep an ear open for that first base coach because you, you could only see what's in front of you Right, because if you're looking everywhere, how can you, you know, you, you wouldn't really run the bases the way that you're supposed to. So you run straight ahead, but the first base coach had a view of the whole field, and if he saw that the ball was way further away and that the, the player uh, could throw the ball, but you could get all the way to third before he gets to the ball, then you would hear him say, go, 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 all the way to third, and you trust him. You can't see where the ball is. You don't know how things are working out, but you trust the guy who can see everything and you follow and you go all the way to third. And that's the way I think the, the inside of faith works in the Christian life is that we only see in part. We see things in shadows, imperfectly, only from our perspective, but God sees everything in every angle, past, present, future. He has his whole wonderful plan unfolding before our eyes. And so when we are like, why should we go to third? And God looks at you and says, because I know exactly what's going to happen in your life. And so you can go to third. You can go share the gospel with that person. You can go uh, and take that job rather than the other job because the, the job that you, that pays less is the one that gives you more time with your family, that allows you to grow and come to church on Sunday. Or taking a, taking a class load to where it, it doesn't take you away from the Lord, but it gives you ample time to do what you're supposed to do and grow in your faith when you're in college or in, in your job. Because God sees everything, uh, we can trust him even when we, are, we can't see it. Finally, we not only see the unexpected grace and insight of faith, but we see then the unexpected marvel of faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel, have I found such a faith? You see, Jesus marveled. He's amazed. He's astonished. He's in awe 
of this centurion's faith. He has not encountered this kind of faith in all of Israel, and he's completely gobsmacked. And this centurion didn't never even really physically met him, and yet he knows that he has more faith than all these people put together. And Jesus never even stepped foot into the man's house, nor did he even meet this sick servant And he marveled at his faith. And because of that faith, the servant was healed. Because it was an unexpected faith of a Gentile rather than a Jew. It was a faith that arose from grace, not from works. Of unworthiness, not of worth. Of humility, not of pride. By faith, not by sight. It came by an unexpected insight into who Jesus was and what he could do knowing the power of his authority, and like a soldier, trusting in his word. Just say the word, and I know he'll be healed. You see, the marvel of the centurion's faith is really not marvelous in itself, but marvelous in its object. Marvelous in the one in whom he put his faith in. You can just imagine when those people who had been sent return to the house, they found the servant well. And this will all point him not only to the marvel of Jesus' person and power and the marvel of his death and resurrection, but the marvel of the gospel in all of its glory. You see, the way that we have a marvelous, marveling faith is by having a faith that marvels at Jesus and all that he's done for us and all that he is. And we see this fulfillment of of a centurion's marveling when another centurion who witnesses Jesus suffering and dying on the cross, breathing his last breath, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hearing uh, how Jesus loves his enemy, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, Crying out, into your hands I commit my spirit with such a peace that only the Son of God could have. And upon him giving his last breath, the curtain between the Holy of Holies and the holy place tears from top to bottom, and a new and living way is opened through the body of Jesus Christ. This other centurion witnesses it all. He praises God and confesses, surely this man was the Son of God. And the word that is used there, he was in awe, right? He marveled, truly this was the Son of God. This is how you and I can have a marveling faith, a faith that Jesus marvels at, is a faith that marvels at Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for for being a marvelous Savior so that when we believe, we have a marvelous faith. Lord, help us to shine as we trust in you. Only say the word and, and it will be done. We trust you, Lord. Lord, would you help us? We ask all of these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.